This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blank, episode 187. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blanc. I am super excited that you're here. We're all about financial freedom with real estate investing. And in this case, we're using apartment buildings a way to do that. One of the things that you got to do for apartment buildings is you have to be able to raise money. One is finding deals, raising money, operating the whole thing. And as a syndicator, you do all three of those. But there is a career path that is uh, focused on the capital raising. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about here today is that career path. In order to raise money, you can raise 250, 500, even a million dollars just by one-on-one conversations with investors, uh, an active networking, getting referrals. Through that, you develop your message and how you address objections and how you get people to invest. It's a super important process that you have to go through. At one point, however, you kind of run out of leads. And sometimes your friend and family, they may have $50,000 or $75,000 to invest, but then they're kind of dry versus accredited investors might be able to invest $50,000, $100,000 every single year because they're high income earners. So the problem becomes, how do I attract more investors? And this is something that I'm really super excited about because the answer to that question is you have to start building an online thought leadership platform. In fact, I'm so excited about it that I have talked about it at uh, conferences over the last few weeks and I've gotten overwhelming positive feedback about not only the problem, but the solution itself. So I'm going to be putting out a lot more content around how do you develop a platform? How do you set up your website? How do you set up the emails? How do you put out regular content? How do you start a podcast? How do you write a book, right? All these things. It's not applicable to everybody in the syndication space, but I would say probably at 40% of the people are thinking about how do I scale the capital raising up and the answer to that is a thought leadership platform. So I wanted to kind of draw that out a little bit today. And today on the on the call, I have Hunter Thompson on the podcast. He's on here because he's a super experienced capital raiser and platform builder. So he's got a podcast himself. He's got a great website. He's putting out regular blog post content and he now just released a new book. So I thought it'd be a great way to interview him about how he does all that thing and what sequence he does it, why it's important. And uh, because sometimes all these things can appear very complicated and simultaneous and overwhelming, when in fact, it's actually a very sequential process. It just happens over a longer period of time. So here on the show with Hunter Thompson, we're going to kind of break that down. How do we create that regular content? How do you deal with it if you're not maybe a writer? What can you do to produce consistent content? At one point, do you start a podcast? Uh, what are some of the things to be cautious of when starting a podcast? And since he just wrote a book, we talked about the book writing process as well. So let's get right into the interview here with Hunter Thompson. Here we go. Hunter, welcome to the show today. Hey, it's honor beyond. Thanks again, Michael. That's awesome. It's great to meet you in person. We had a conference recently. You got to hang out a little bit, and that's really awesome. You were on the episode a little while ago, uh, a podcast episode 87, and we talked all about self-storage because that's kind of your area of, of specialty. But let's catch everybody up a little bit here. Just give us a little background on yourself and maybe what happened since then. 
Yeah. So for those that didn't watch that first episode, definitely go and take a lick and listen to it. Take a lick and I love it. Take a lick into it. (laughs) I kind of talk about my background, which, you know, I had a huge moment. A lot of us have a moment where we talk about 2008. That was a great moment for me as well, but it was kind of the other end of the spectrum. I was in college in 2008. So when 2008 happened, I was really drawn in as opposed to steered away from. And so what happened with me is that I realized that there was going to be an opportunity in the stock market, went all in, started studying Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, et cetera, even learning about day trading and such, and then started to have success as most people did if they started in 2008. But in 2010, when the European debt crisis started, it started creating massive volatility in the US markets, very similar to what happened in 2008. But the fact that it was in Greece and Italy and Portugal I just realized, you know, I've got to figure out a way to avoid these uncontrollable, unmitigatable, unpredictable things that have nothing to do with any of the literature that I studied. And that quickly, you know, led me to real estate, thankfully, at a very favorable time in terms of the market dynamics. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit about my background. If you're interested about the self-storage model, definitely go and, and take a listen to that. But generally what we do, I'm the founder of a company, ASM Capital, and we identify really interesting opportunities in a variety of asset classes. Then we identify best-in-class operating partners in those asset classes. We joint venture with them and create investment opportunities for our passive investors to enjoy, um, which allows us to be diversified across a lot of different geographic locations and risk profiles and asset classes. Yeah, this is really, you're highlighting a particular, I would call a career path. A lot of times, not exclusively, we talk about the syndication career, which is typically involves finding deals, raising money, operating the deals. Now, there's a, a very growing growing number of people who are focusing more on the capital raising side, and, and you're one of those people. And what I find interesting is there's a, there's a focus on the app capital raising side, but you said it, you on the operation, you don't necessarily operate everything yourself. You rely on operating partners and joint ventures across multiple different operating classes. Can you talk a little bit about the business of that? I think most people understand the business of raising money. You're raising money, raising money. But how do you find align yourself uh, on the joint venture side? What do you kind of look for in a joint venture? How many do you have? Do I need a dozen? Do I need two? You know, Mm -hmm. what what uh, the back end side of that? Talk about that. So for us, you know, I'm very hesitant to enter into partnerships with anyone. I mean, the times at which there's been challenges in my career have usually been a result of partnerships that should have taken a lot more time getting into them. And so there's that. There's also the component of, you know, where we are in the economic cycle, which I'm extremely cautious about. I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of economists and IMF consultants on my podcast. And generally speaking, I don't think we're heading towards some massive pull the carpet out under us type of situation. But at the same time, it's always about downside protection. If you can avoid those losses, you have to be really, your career is going to be much more, (laughs) you know, it's going to be much more lucrative and much more predictable if you can avoid those downsides. And one of the way we do that is we identify best in class operating partners. So we'll probably do three deals in 2020 or so with different operating partners. And these are, you know, industry leaders in their particular niches. What I'm looking for is I want an operating partner that already has the systems and the processes and the relationships and the economies of scale, but hasn't really built out their investor relations branch of their company so that they really want to focus on what's going on on a day-to-day basis at the management level. They don't want to deal with investors. They don't want to be the ones drafting articles and conducting podcast interviews and speaking on stage. But that's what I love to do. So when there's a great opportunity where you know, a company has... You know, 
hundred million dollars under management or more, a great track record in the business, but they're looking for someone that wants to interact with investors, it can be the potential for a great fit. And that's really how I'm positioned in the marketplace. Yeah, I love I love that, right? And and you said you're cautious about these these partners because in a lot of cases you don't have controlling interest in these deals and and frankly you don't really want to, but the way you protect yourself with that is by is by aligning yourself with very strong operating partners. And it sounds like the fit for you, and this is a, a good message for everyone who's thinking about this, is the kind of person you're looking for is not someone who's got a platform like you do, raising a bunch of money already. It's really someone who's really come from the operations side. And there's a number of them. They've self-funded themselves through refinances or, or maybe they've raised money on their own without a platform. And they're like, oh my gosh, I, if you can bring 5 million or whatever to, to us and we can do this more than once a year, like, you know, this is very interested in. Is that, is that kind of how it works? Yeah, exactly. And typically the way we structure it is we'll have a 12-month right of first refusal and we'll create a fund, which is, you know, our creation of the fund, our investing entity that doesn't exist outside of that. And that first 12 months will be, you know, anything that we view as uh, optimal, we'll invest and then also we'll participate in the GP as well. And that's part of the way that we structure it. That's great. Now, you have a lot of experience raising money. You have a platform and you also now created a, a book. Tell us about uh, the book that's coming out. Well, for anyone that's written a book, I'm sure you can probably relate to this. So I wrote the book very quickly. You know, I, this has been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. I raised about $30 million of private equity. So I feel like at this point, I've got a lot to share with people that are just entering the sector or people that are doing it at a relatively high level, but are just looking to you know, really emphasize and really maximize their time. And so I wrote the first 30 pages, I'm excuse me, the first half the book, about 30,000 words in about 30 days, wrote the second half of the book in about another 45 days. So just blitzed it out and was like, wow, I'm going to do another one. And then I started the editing process. And now we've been stuck in limbo for months. And I'm not the type of person that likes to let really big initiatives drag out. But this is, it's just a challenging process if you're going to do it yourself, which I love doing. I've really enjoyed writing it. But generally speaking, you know, I have seen, uh, there's a lot of content out there about this topic. And I was at your recent uh, speech at the Raising Money Summit. And from my perspective, there hasn't been a book that has been about what you've talked about yet. There's been Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. Joe Fairless created an incredible book about apartment syndication where they do touch on the topics. But there hasn't been someone that's talked about the entire process of content creation, creating webinars, creating a sales pitch, creating a funnel to attract leads and then nurture them through educational content and then close them over the phone. And I felt like, you know what, this is a good opportunity for me to play a role in a lot of people's success. And that was why I'm motivated to do it. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, about the book. What, what's the name of it so people can find it and what do, you, what do you cover in the book? Yeah, so I appreciate that, first of all. So it's Raising Capital for Real Estate. And you can find out about it at RaisingCapitalForRealEstate.com. And the faster you go there, there's going to be some online bonuses that people are going to get. They're going to slowly go away. They're going to slowly become more and more expensive. So just go ahead and check this out. And I'm really proud of the bonuses as well. So generally, the book is about this. When I started in the real estate sector, I started investing from my own personal portfolio. You know, I was trying to get money outside the stock market. My mom was concerned about the stock market. We've just suffered what happened in 2008. And I was trying to find a way to get predictable cash flow. And so I was very drawn to the mobile home park business. I love that business now, but back then it was just like, 
completely asymmetric. It wasn't the kind of thing, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the business now. Even this audience, which is sophisticated, back then people were not talking about the mobile home park business. So the cap rates were just very, very favorable. So I started investing learning a ton about the business, flying around the country, meeting an operating partner, and just going through a level of due diligence far above and beyond what a typical passive investor would do. And I thought, look, there's an opportunity here. You know, we could create a fund to invest in these types of vehicles. And I'm sure our friends and family would love to be, you know, participating in this. And so started to do a little bit, gained a track record. And I thought, okay, look, there's a potential for a business to be created. Let's really scale this thing. I want to create our own fund. Let's do this. And so I started marketing for a lunch event that we were going to have. We're going to have a free lunch, catered lunch. I had, you know, my friends and family, they were like outside circles, right? So they're friends and family, they're plus ones, they're plus twos. And 30 people came to my lunch and I was extremely confident in the material. I knew it front to back. I could memorize the entire PowerPoint presentation. I was very confident in my ability to sell. i was in Cutco for a little bit, like when I was just graduated high school and led my branch in sales. So totally had anything I was passionate about. If I thought that there was going to be a quality product, I was going to be able to present it. So I went up there in front of 30 people, all accredited investors, $30 million in the room for sure. And um, went through the presentation, handed out a piece of paper and said, you know, write the number of dollars that you're interested in investing, turn it over just to be, keep it private. They turned the dollars in and I started looking at the paper and I realized I didn't raise a one dollar, not one dollar. And I thought I was at least going to raise half a million, if not a million. And this was devastating, you know, and I'm sure you've been there. A lot of people listening to this have been there where you think, oh, I can raise a quarter million. I can raise a half a million. And you start to scramble at the last minute and you got to call your like really rich uncle and maybe he'll fund the last piece of it. You can kind of bridge it for a little bit and just go through this stuff. I have been there. And I realized it's not about going out and converting people. It's not about going and convincing your rich uncle that they should make a bet on you. They may send you $25,000, but they're not going to send you $100,000 every single year for the next 70 years. So in order to attract that kind of money, you have to create an infrastructure to attract people that are already thinking about your way of thinking. And that's exactly what the book is all about. Yeah. So you were basically, you were almost hunting with a rifle, right? You were looking to people that were right around you. And so you were essentially pulling them, you know, pulling them in forcing them almost trying to convert them. And what you're talking about is more of a model where you're becoming more of a magnet. You're putting some kind of message out there and you are simply attracting people coming out of the woodworks who already have a, a mindset or mentality and have a certain degree of readiness. So you're not actually converting them. You're just enabling them and you're showing them the, the way. And so how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, content creation, right? And this is something that you and I have talked about many times. I think that there's there's multiple levels to this. I think that number one, article drafting alone is something that if you guys haven't taken the time to do this and you're interested in becoming a thought leader in your area, even if you're not interested in becoming a thought leader, this is an incredible exercise. Take 60 minutes to 180 minutes sometime in the next week and just write down a hundred potential topics that are related to your business. And I say 100 because I know this is going to overcome a lot of procrastination, which is like the number one killer of success. You know that a lot of these topics are going to be trash, which is fine. You don't have to write an article about every single one. Just go through and, you know, what's the relationship between interest rates and cap rates? What's the relationship between, you know, interest rates and housing prices? Is self-storage actually recession resistant? There's three right there. You only have to come up with 97 more, right? So you're well on your way. And then go through and 
numerically rate how good of an article these could potentially be, put them in Excel and sort by the number and write an article about the first 10. So all the tens that you have, write an article about those. And that's the beginning of your platform. And I'm telling you, just going through this process of actually writing out and codifying, clarifying the way that you feel about a certain topic is going to drastically increase your close ratio. Um, and that doesn't even mean that anyone has actually read it. It's just the fact of going through that is such a great process. And then you get the bonus of people will be attracted to you, especially if you use appropriate keywords and such. You can get a lot of traffic and start to close those deals. Now, if I have trouble coming up with 100, how are some ways that I can come up with topics? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, to be honest with you, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but what I have been able to do is an incredibly lucrative skill is identifying industry leaders and mimicking them, right? Finding the playbook for their success and reverse engineering. And the same is true from article topics, right? So go to the industry leaders, go to Michael's website. He doesn't care. He's putting this stuff out there for free. Write an article that is similar to Michael's. He's doing a great job. You can go to our website as well and just write articles. But your topic, your perspective on the same topics can be very different than mine. I have no problem with you copying my stuff. Obviously, that's why I write a book about it. So use others as a playbook for your own success. Yeah, that's right. So essentially, if other people are writing it, there's a reason why they're writing it. And all you got to do is look at the heading and things will trigger inside you. I find always the hardest part in writing is coming up with the topics. Like the answer is easy for me, right? Mm -hmm. What should I write about? What I remember, you know, I'm like 151 articles of bigger pockets uh, for a long period of time. And I came, came to the point where I couldn't think of anything. I've written about everything. Uh, but every week I had to write this article and I was like, man, what should I write about today? And it was, it was stress. If someone had said, Michael, why don't you answer the question about, you know, what's the investment process look like? Oh yeah, that's easy. Okay. I can write that. But how do I come up with this thing? And so sometimes coming up with those, and that's a great way is just seeing what other people are writing. Another way I found useful is, is just looking at some of the questions that people are asking online or via email. Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? Oh, okay. Well, let me put that in the spreadsheet and write around that. So to me, that, that addresses the major stress point. And I think another stress point I've heard people talk about is, oh my gosh, I'm not a writer. What do I do? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you're looking at that person, right? And now I'm about to be the author of a book. And I guess by the time this launches, I will be launched. So there's a lot of ways to overcome this. First of all, you have to be an expert, right? And that's something that there's different people's perspective on all this. I'm the kind of person that thinks, look, this is an incredibly lucrative and incredibly competitive part of finance that attracts everyone from Warren Buffett to Carl Icahn and everyone in between. So you have to be considering those people as your competitors. So you have to absolutely be an expert. But once you are an expert, that confidence starts to build. And then you feel like morally obligated to share the information that you have with your peers. If you're not an expert, you feel like you're faking it, right? And so you don't want to be in that position, especially not in the worlds of finance, similar to like medicine. You know what I mean? So that's, that's one thing I would say. But also, I really like the idea of you know, I don't want to cognitively shift gears a bunch. So these large time blocks of 60 to 180 minutes, which I do talk about in the book, that is actually going to give you the ability to free up your mental space to overcome this. And if you can get in the habit of just writing a thousand words in an hour, that's a great habit to get into. And now I'm sure that Michael, I mean, you've done this and I've done this. I can write a thousand, pay, a thousand words, no problem, right? I can just sit down and just bang it out. Not even a problem. That was not the case five years ago. And it's a great skill to have. Now, if you're still really struggling with that and you want to write an ebook, for example, which I'm a huge proponent of, 
have your friend interview you on a topic that you think is really compelling and just go to rev.com, convert that, make that audio into a transcript. And that's your first ebook. And this to me is a no brainer. Like if you're an expert, you should 100% have an ebook. And if you don't like writing, you should 100% do what I just outlined. Yeah. Rev.com is R-E-V-V, I think.com, right? And it's basically upload anything with sound, either a sound recording on your phone or even a video, and it creates a transcription of that. And now you actually, and all you got to do now is edit it into what you need to do. You can either do it yourself or you can actually hire someone uh, to do the, the final final book. But I think I think you're right. I mean, there's really no reason for someone not to produce content. And if someone is not is not considers themselves a writer, then speak into, you know, record the audio or record a video. I mean, right now, I spend most of my time recording videos and then we then create blog posts and emails from that, right? So that's an easy way to go. So for, for me, the biggest thing is the topic, like, oh gosh, what am I going to talk about? And what are my three bullets? You know, what are my three bullets? What, what else can I talked about? You know, I'm not a writer. The commitment to content is, is a hmm. big one. It's not an impossible one. But it's certainly a big one. Now you have uh, you talked about blocking sixty minutes, sixty minutes a day. Uh, what can someone do to basically commit to content creation on a regular basis? So the first thing I'd say is consistency is the most important thing, and I think mentally consistency is like even more important than actually it is in terms of like your readership, for example. So if you're feeling like this is a major major hurdle, and you also feel like this is the key to your success, which I can totally relate to, have been in that weird position, I would say that start out with a schedule that you think is extremely overcomable, right? So if you want to do one article every two weeks, do that. Now, guys like Michael and I will tell you that that's not going to get you across the needle, but if you can just build that confidence in yourself, which I can do this, I can become a writer, I can conduct one interview with my friend and then transcribe that via Vev, whatever you do, just once every two weeks, then add it so that you're doing it once a week and then do it once on Monday, once on Wednesday. And then you're starting to really grow that confidence. So I think that's a one way to do it. But then again, everyone's workflow is different. So some people might like to do 60 minutes every single day. Some people might to do three hours every Friday and they know that they're going to wake up, they're going to get to work at eight and they're not going to even do anything besides create content for three hours. I like to do a little bit of both. Mm. I like the latter one, um, even though having said that, writing the book, I found that doing 45 to 60 minutes a day really helped because when you're writing a book, the, the advantage of a blog post is that there's a, there's a well-defined beginning and end that you can knock out in 60 minutes. When you're writing a book and a day goes by or two, I I'll forget my train of thought from the previous time. So it takes me 10 to 15 minutes to reread where I was, get in the frame of mind. So now I got 30 to 45 minutes to actually write. On the other hand, having to write for three hours straight is is probably going to be a bit of a stretch. But in general, I like the time batch. So right now, uh, for Tuesday afternoons, we record podcasts. Why is that? Well, I got to set up a bunch of equipment. Uh, you know, it takes a little time. I got to get into a certain mode. So if I'm going to write, like you said, why don't I write maybe two blog posts, you know? And so maybe in my case, I would do uh, either do it once a week, like you said, or, or do it once every other week, but then I'll write two. If I'm recording video, it's the same thing because I got to set up a bunch of stuff. I'm going to try to script out four videos and do it four at a time. Not just crazy people like Joe Fairless who will do, you know, eight during a day. And that's because he's doing a daily podcast. That's a little bit much for me, but I do like the batching thing. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And also, I mean, once you start getting to this world of content creation, you start to see through the matrix a little bit where every time you're having a conversation with someone, the back of your mind is running. What can I 
pick up out of this conversation? What can I infer? What's the interesting or counterintuitive or thing that's really compelling about this conversation that I'm having that I can turn into a little piece of content? And I all the time, if I'm having a great conversation with someone else that I work with, I'll see that conversation posted later, you know, on their blog. You know, maybe they won't directly mention me, but it's because of the conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had that happen to me. You're always a lookout. What can I talk about, right? Because you always have something to say. Right. Um, now, what are you trying to do with all this content? We kind of got into a little bit of a, a content tactic, which is super important because fundamentally content is important. The question is why? Why yeah. to go through all this trouble? Why is it important? Because it is a very scalable way to nurture new leads. So the leads are attracted to you because the content you create. But my challenge is we have about 300 investors. Okay. And so for me to nurture every single one of them would be extremely burdensome. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create an infrastructure that makes this really scalable and replicatable. So it doesn't take my time over and over again. And in an ideal world, which is, by the way, the world that I'm living in, in my opinion, I'm able to have investors come to our website, be very nurtured and to a certain extent indoctrinated by the content we put out, and then invest fifty, a hundred, three hundred thousand dollars with us without requiring much more than a single phone call. Now, saying that out loud, it seems a little bit odd. And some people may be thinking, what idiot sent you three hundred thousand dollars over the internet without as much more than a phone call? But the reality is, that's the way that business is done these days. I mean, here's the reality. Some of our investors know me much more deeply than some of my best friends in terms of certain topics. Because they listen to your podcast. Exactly. It's a very intimate medium in which there's not, there's so many things going for it. There's not a level of bureaucracy, right? It's not like me and you and then 20 guys in the back telling me what to say and what not to say and giving me the cue cards and stuff. This is an open, honest conversation. It's a long form conversation. And then we go across a variety of topics. So truly, the investors that listen to our show are extremely confident in the type of person we are, especially when it comes to ethical decisions. And so that's what this is all about. you know. And something else in terms of building credibility, which is absolutely critical here, there is nothing more amazing than if you have an investor call with someone and you keep getting the same question over and over again, what is UBIT? What is the fee that I have to pay if I invest in a self-directed IRA and there's leverage there? Okay, write an article about that explain the answer to what UBIT is. And when you get off the phone, send them that article. Not only is that amazing, it is much, much, much more amazing than sending them the article that your competitor wrote about the same topic. And so you can do this. It's all about building that credibility, saving your time, thinking of your time as being very valuable so that by the time you do jump on that investor call, they're very much ready to move forward. Do you find that you have to speak to your leads differently than people who are ready to invest? with you? And if so, how? Yeah, that is a great question. I mean, that is really a marketing question. And it's something that expert marketers know is critical, right? There's basically several stages in terms of what a lead is interested in. You know, leads may be coming to you for different reasons. So it's really important when you do, like, especially if you're able to get on a call with them, it's important to ask them about their background and their experience in real estate. So before you jump into the kind of content that you're going to send them, you need to understand, do they know what a debt service coverage ratio is? Or is this the first time they've ever invested in commercial real estate? And so you want to hit people on different levels. Now, my brand, you know, I have an annual conference called the Intelligent Investors Real Estate Conference. The reason it's called that is because my podcast, my brand caters towards 
intermediate advanced passive investors. And so some of the conversations that I have with my passive investors, most people are not having because most passive investors don't take it as seriously as some of the investors we have just because of the type of content we put out in our podcast. And that's not for everyone. So we ideally, you want to be able to attract all types of passive investors, right? So for a, like your book, for example, which is really making the case for taking money out of the stock market. That's a great example of what a lot of passive investors are looking for. How do I make my first passive investment? And then on the other side of the spectrum, you may want to say, what are 10 questions savvy passive investors want to ask or should ask operating partners? That's going to cater to a very different type of audience. But guess what? This is free. You know, this is free for you to put this content out there. So you should be going across that spectrum. This brings up a very good point about who are you trying to attract, right? Because the person I'm going to attract may be different than the person you're trying to attract. And so it sounds to me like through your, your content and your free download, you are looking for a slightly more sophisticated investor. Is that right? You know what? To be honest with you, it's just a byproduct of me being myself in the sense that I like to have, like when I have a conversation with people on my podcast, I don't want to do it unless I'm going to learn something. And because of that, sometimes I get a little exposed by not being an expert in every single topic, which is totally fine. But that lends itself to, you know, a lot of our investors have made 10 or more past investments across a variety of asset classes. That's not really typical, right? But just because, you know, that's who attracts my particular brand. And I'm sure it's the same with everyone else. You got to be yourself. That's a very important. You, you got to be yourself. You can't. We can't try to fabricate someone different. I, it's uh, Corey Peterson, good friend, and you, you know Corey as well. And uh, he attracts the very, the exact opposite, the very unsophisticated investor. Why? Because he was a financial advisor. He was dealing with people's money who had no idea, and they just wanted to say, "Ha, ah, Corey, you take care of all the all the money." So he's dealing with a very unsophisticated investor, and he will now attract that kind of person because of the way he speaks and the content he puts out. And he will repel literally your investor because his investor is like, "Ah, that's terrible." I already know all this stuff and the returns suck. I would never invest with him. And he's like, I'm fine with that because that investor is not going to invest with me, but the other one is. And same thing, the stuff that I'm doing or you're doing may not attract the mom and pop 401k investor because the content we're putting out is on a certain level in the way we're speaking. And that's okay. I think if you're trying to appeal to too many different people, you're going to end up appealing to nobody. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. So this is is great. So really, we're putting out content to nurture the investors, once they become on, a, on our list, we're educating them, we're building trust with that person. So when we do ask them to invest, they're like, wow, I'm ready to go. That, you know, that hunter, he's really trustworthy. He's really helping me understand it. Finally, he's got a deal and now I can in- invest with him. So that's, so content creation is really at the, at the heart of it. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about that scalability, right? That's the reason that we love commercial real estate so much. You're able to allocate tens of millions of dollars in just a few properties. and But part of that, though, is that your limiting factor is always time. So it's really a matter of you know going through that attraction, nurture, and uh, you know close process as much automated tools as possible. So you had to, you have your website and your your first thing you did is, were you putting out regular blogs? Is that the first thing you did or did you start your podcast first or kind of talk about the sequence of, of how you rolled or how you've been rolling things out? Yeah. So the article content creation was the first and then the first, I really, yeah. exactly. And that was, you know, attracting people and, but they had to already be looking for like the exact things that I was talking about. And then when I started the podcast in 2016, there was a categorical shift in terms of the scalability. I mean, we had built up some success starting in 2013 or so, but by 2016 is real, 
the snowball was really starting to compound and my network had grown. So I thought, you know, this would be really great to share some of the key takeaways that I've gotten with all the, the network that I've grown up so far. A lot of people will get a lot out of this and really started, you know, podcast episode one with Jeremy Roll and it was a very detailed episode. And I kind of thought it set the stage for what was going to come. And so obviously the podcast medium has taken off and I want to say something to address that really quickly. In 2014, the total number of downloads in iTunes was 7 billion across, like up until that point. And that number has gone from 7 billion to more than 50 billion now. And I think as investors, we may see that and hear about what's going on in the podcast world and start to think, man, there must be a bubble in the podcast world, now, which is understandable. But here's the thing about that. A bubble is indicative when the risk is very, very high and the upside is very, very low. So you think about like 1999, for example, people are in betting on all these websites they had no idea about. And the upside was very, very limited. If you have like a multi-billion dollar valuation, you don't even have like a company. Now with the podcast world, it's the opposite because it is such a small startup cost and the upside is just unlimited. So I'm actually anticipating more and more podcasts to be started and it's actually going to be good for everyone because when someone starts a podcast, they tell their friends to be listeners. Those friends become podcast listeners and there's plenty of room to grow. So if you're thinking about creating a platform, the podcast medium is an absolute no-brainer. Even if my podcast had never been heard by anyone, it would have been incredible value add to my business just because I become a much better investor as a result of having those conversations with those key individuals. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I mean, the, the the thing is, it does seem like there's a you know a dozen podcasts popping up every single day, and they and they are. But just looking around, like people around me, the vast majority of people aren't listening to podcasts. They maybe listen to an audible book, but they're still listening to the radio and watching a bunch of TV. So I think the, the the opportunity is still very very large. What advice do you have for someone to start a podcast? Right, because I mean, you could talk about anything under the sun, really. And there is a lot of noise out there. I mean, in yeah. any niche you get into, real estate investing or anything, health or, or finance, you know, what, what advice do you have for someone starting a podcast now? So pick a niche, right? Pick a direction to go and it's totally fine if you pivot, right? So a friend of mine just started a podcast called the Investor Mindset Podcast. And all he talks about is the mindset that goes along with being an investor. Do you know, like when you hear that name, you know what you're getting into. So if you're interested in the topic, go there. He's a great interviewer. There's great people that have been on that show. Check it out. Now, what you don't want to do is kind of be an amalgamation of just everything. Cause then it's like, you talk about real estate one day, then you talk about what you did in the gym. Then you talk about, you know, what you did when you woke up. And it's like, what am I really coming here for? Unless you just love this person. This isn't like 2004 anymore. You have to have like a really specific agenda to get subscribers. So that's what I would suggest. So specific agenda, let's drill down on, on a little bit. So there's, there are some people who will just get, get on and they just have a guest and they really kind of talk about whatever. I think what I hear you saying is when you have a podcast, uh, there's got to be a brand association. So when, when they think of Hunter or Michael, there's a certain association and a certain thing that they're expecting. Is that kind of what you're, what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. So my podcast, we took a lot about the economics behind real estate, right? That's why I mentioned some of the people that I've had on recently. So that's what people think of when they think of me, right? And so that's part of it. Also, the intelligent investor component, which I mentioned earlier. Um, for your brand, obviously, financial freedom is what people think about when they think of you. And you want yeah. that association to come up because when they think about those topics, they go or they hear someone talk about that topic. Oh, you like economics as it pertains to real estate. I've got to connect you with Hunter Thompson. 
That's right. That's exactly right. So it's, it's so important. And like you said, uh, start with a very specific niche, especially in the in the beginning. Uh, you can always pivot, like like you said, and and possibly expand or adjust based on your on your audience. Um, so that's that's super important. Now you have a book out. That's kind of cool. <laughs> that's right. And it's a continuation of all of this, right? It's, it's ability to build the brand through content creation. And the book is something that I'm very proud of. When I started writing it, I didn't know if I was going to actually put it out. I didn't know if I was going to add a lot of value. Now it's come the kind of thing that I start to feel like, man, why am I giving this away for free? And that's when you know you're on to something. Every time in my career, what I felt like, man, I should not be doing this for free. It's like been a absolute gold mine. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not going to make money on the book, but I think that two things. I think that it's going to create a lot of momentum in terms of my brand and my conference, my mentorship, et cetera. But more importantly, nothing really makes me more motivated to get out of bed than to hear about other people's success that I played a role in. I'm confused though. If your book's not going to make money, why bother uh, writing it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, gosh, it's so interesting, right? The the book world has changed so much. You see a lot of people talk about free book plus shipping, which is what we're going to do on the website. Cool. And the reason for that is to get them into the infrastructure because there's a lot of different ways that you can monetize those leads. And if you're hearing this, you're like, oh no, the infinite upsell. Buckle up, buddy. You're not getting all this for free. But I'm telling you, the book itself is just going to create so much value that people that read it are going to be like, where can I get more? And the answer is right here. That's exactly right. So one of the things that's important to realize is that it, this is, it sounds like a lot because it is, but it's not like you've been doing this for the last six months. You've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. It's a sequential approach. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, you start to hear people say, hey, I raised $10 million and all I had to send out was one email. Right. Well, what did you do prior to that, that allowed you to be in that position? And again, that's really what we're talking about today. You know, how can you, it's easy to get someone to invest with you, right? If I spend enough time, then someone will invest with me. If that's really my number one goal. The challenge though, is that the time is exceptionally limited. So the real question is, how do I build a scalable infrastructure that will allow this to happen over and over again to the tunes of millions of dollars on a replicatable manner? And it doesn't really take that much. I'm sure that some of your investors are out there or some of your listeners are out there kind of thinking, you know, how could I ever raise 30 million or $50 million? Well, I mean, to put this in perspective, if you're working with accredited investors, I think it's reasonable to say that they would be able to invest, let's say, $75,000 every single year, right? I mean, if they're making that type of income, it's possible that they could do that, or $50,000. You know, multiply $50,000 times 500. I mean, is 500 really too many investors? Do you think it's impossible to acquire 500 investors? 500 times 50,000, it's a lot of money. And if you could do that every year, you're going to be in a position to really move the needle in terms of the non-institutional real estate space. And I want people to be motivated by that. And by the way, that's the reason I wanted to write the book. When I did that math, I realized, whoa, I'm not like out competing against everyone. There's plenty of opportunity for success and other people need to be aware of this. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's great. I think uh, I think it's great that you wrote that book. Good job. But writing a book Thanks. is pretty pretty hard. <laughs> and uh, so, t- tell everybody the title of the book again and how they can connect with you. So it's raising capital for real estate, and the website is raisingcapitalforrealestate.com. If you're interested in this interview, just shoot me a thank you at info at raisingcapitalforrealestate.com. Awesome, great topic, great book, Hunter. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks. 
So the key to getting this platform right is to commit to regular content production. I think that's the core of it. There's all things you got to do in the setup phase, okay? You got you to create a lead magnet or ebook or special report. So if you go to nighthawkequity.com forward slash report, you can see ours. It's really about the titles about you know, what's the better investment, stocks or real estate, question mark. And we're trying to hit people as they're starting to scratch their head about the stock market. And, you know, maybe there's something else. What is that? And so we talk about in the report uh, what the actual returns are in the stock market, which after volatility, taxes, fees, and inflation are actually woefully uh, low, which begs the question, why should any sane person ever invest in the stock market? <laughs> so I'm not saying you should take all your eggs out of the stock market, but you should take some of them out there and at least explore the world of multifamily syndications because it's an amazing, amazing world with extraordinary tax benefits. You have cash flow on your investment, which you don't have with stocks, and you have a, you have a predictable, consistent return, again, which you don't have with stocks. And so if you are interested in investing, check out that report. It's at nighthawkequity.com forward slash report. And you will go through a series where you schedule a call with us. And uh, once you have a call with us, then we are able to present you with upcoming investment opportunities. And so that's kind of our process as well. There's a nurturing process that goes on where you join the Nighthawk Investing Club. And then once you're in that club, you're essentially qualified to receive deals from us. Now, uh, we talked a lot about here on the show with Hunter about ongoing content production, which is a commitment. There's no question around that. But if you want to build a platform, if you want to serve your audience, if you want to lead them to something, a change, which in this case is investing to generate passive income so they can quit their jobs, if that's what you want to do, you have to commit to producing regular content. And it's actually not as difficult as it seems because it's not like it's 20 hours a week. It's actually a very low number per week, but you have to be consistent with that. And what I find is that is the absolute best way to do it is to schedule it in your calendar. If you don't schedule these things in your calendar, it will not happen. You're not going to create a blog post in your in your spare time because there very rarely is any. So really committing to a content production process is critical. One thing that really helps is creating a content calendar in a way that Hunter describes. Uh, and 100 is a great number. I don't think you need 100 necessarily, uh, but let's shoot for 10, 10 topics. And you start writing uh, one per week. Once your topic is, is written, is defined, you can then start writing to that and putting it out. So it's regular content production that's at the core of any kind of platform you're building. Anytime someone downloads your ebook or register for your newsletter, what happens after that? In 99% of the cases, nothing actually happens. They never hear from you again. That's where I was not even 12 months ago, right? So someone would fill out my investor questionnaire and they say, welcome very much to Nighthawk Equity. And that's it. That's the last they would ever hear from me. And then six months later, we were trying to do a raise and we struggled raising that money. Why? Because someone stumbled on my on my questionnaire and, and registered and then forgot that we existed. All of a sudden, we get this, this deal out of left field and they've forgotten who I was and why they registered in the first place. And they're like, yeah, delete. And that's, uh, that's what not to do. And so we fixed that problem late last year, early in 2019. We started this nurturing process in a way that Hunter and I talked about, sending them actually um, high value emails and blog posts, helping them address some of their questions and concerns they have, making them more intelligent investors. And that's really at the, at the heart of, of the platform is you're serving your investors. In my case, we are not only trying to raise money, and that kind of serves us in some way. What we're really doing is educating 
the average investor who's got most likely all of their investment in stocks. So worst, absolute worst investment you can make, but really we're using it as a vehicle for them to achieve financial freedom. So it's interesting that the passive investor wants the same exact thing that the active investor wants, which is financial freedom, right? We want to provide for our families, but we want to control our time. I just happen to have money to invest where the typical active investor doesn't, but what they do have is hustle. They have some amount of time. And the passive investor uh, oftentimes has much less time. They're normally in very demanding jobs. They're doctors, they're attorneys, they're small business owners, or they're C-level executives. But what they do have is money. And how can I parlay that money into passive investments that over time, within a five-year period, can literally replace my income? And that's so powerful. And we've had several guests on the show that actually talk exactly about how they've how they've done that. A good number, not all, get more on the active investing side, specifically around capital raising, because they get so excited about raising capital and what it does for them that they blab about it to, to their friends. And so now they get into this world of capital raising. And that's really, really exciting. So if you're interested in investing with Nighthawk Equity, go to nighthawkequity.com and click the, the join button that joins the uh, the investment club that we have. And again, that'll set up a, a call with us so we get to know each other a little bit more. And then we can present you with some upcoming opportunities. So I hope you guys found that interesting and useful as you're thinking about the future, uh, about building a platform and ongoing content creation. Thanks so much. Catch you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.